Thank you so much. What a great song. It's one of my favorites that's come out in the last few years in the church hymnotic world, and I'm so grateful for that song and for the truth that it conveys. So thank you very much, David, and praise team for leading us. Um, if you jumped in on our YouTube Live uh, this last Wednesday as I had kind of our online prayer meeting, you, you saw me wearing a hat because my hair is getting long and my wife is, is, is concerned about it. We, we need a haircut bad uh, in my house, at least I do, and uh, so I'm doing the best I can with this mop. But it's beginning to denigrate throughout our staff. You see, uh, David is not shaving now, so he's growing his beard out. Um, and uh, I noticed one day when I came to the office, it, I think Ken is growing a mustache, uh, and Jamie is still as bald as a cue stick. So, um, so we're, uh, we're, we're all trying to survive here, and poor Jamie can't grow anything right now. So uh, anyway, we're, we're glad to have you join us this morning. And if you got a copy of God's Word, I'm going to ask you to turn to 1 Peter chapter 4. While you're turning there, I want to say just a couple of things. First of all, I want to say thank you to Central Park Baptist Church for your faithfulness. Thank you for your faithfulness to tune in each week for a live stream broadcast when this is not really ideal or preferred and yet, so many of you are joining in. You're sharing our live stream with friends and family. We, we, we don't really know exactly how many people are watching. I was looking just a second ago and could see that we had about 95 tune-ins at that particular point. But we know that in that there are usually at least two, if not sometimes four or more people that are watching at that particular time. So we know that there's a couple of hundred people that are probably watching live every single week, in addition to those who are probably tuning in later on uh, on Facebook or that, have, that are getting this link and are not able to watch it on Sunday. So thank you, church family, for your faithfulness, not only to, to, to join in through the awkwardness of doing this through a live stream camera, but also for your faithfulness to share it with others. Thank you also for your faithfulness in your giving. Um, a few weeks ago, uh, when all of this kind of started happening and we were, we were not able to meet together, one of our great concerns that we had was what was that going to affect us financially as a church? Uh, because most of our people, the vast majority of them, give when they attend church on Sunday morning in Sunday school or during our corporate worship uh, offering. And those people are not able to be here, so it's much harder to give. It's much harder, harder to remember to do that. Um, and yet many of you have been faithful to mail your tithes and offerings in. Some of you have called and our church staff have come by and picked those up. And some of you have learned how to use our online giving option and that giving has increased. Um, we are, have seen the last two weeks our offerings be incredibly uh, faithful and generous for our church family to the point that we are almost where we were last year in 2019 with giving. So thank you for that. Um, we were concerned about that and that enables us to continue to be able to do the ministries that God has called us to without some serious impact later on this year. So thank you for that faithfulness and thank you for your faithfulness to continue to try to get together with your groups somehow. I know that some of our groups are using uh, online features like Zoom. I know there's several of our Sunday school classes and small groups that are using that platform. I know others, uh, like uh, some of our Stovall class, they're, they're recording videos and posting that to their Facebook page for their Sunday school class. And 
And uh, thank you for those Sunday school teachers that are trying to learn how to teach online. I've had several talk to me. I had one just two days ago who talked about recording a video and how difficult it is to talk to a, to a phone or to a camera without anybody present and to be able to teach a Sunday school lesson. So thank, for, thank you for your faithfulness for those who are, who are doing Sunday school online in a very difficult format. So we're going to be able to get together again soon. We hope very soon. We don't know when that's going to be or what that's going to look like when we do, but we are going to be able to get together soon, and we're excited about that. In the meantime, we want to continue to resource you with opportunities to grow spiritually. And if you got an email from the church uh, this last week, there were a couple of things that we gave you that are coming up this week to help you. And one of those is the Secret Church Simulcast, which will be taking place this coming Friday uh, from 6 o'clock to about midnight. Now, some of you would say there's no way that I can tune into that for that whole time, and that's fine. Uh, if you want to be a part of the Secret Church Simulcast and you want to sign up for that, you'll be given a link, and those, those sessions will be online after the simulcast is over for you to be able to tune in later on at your own pace. Um, the uh, simulcast comes with a workbook uh, that is about 180 pages long, and the theme for the simulcast this year is God, Government, and the Gospel. This is an intense time of Bible study that is led by Dr. David Platt. Uh, he does this every single year about this time. And so if you would like to, to be a part of this teaching, uh, you can email the church or call the church office or you can message me on my Facebook or email me. Uh, we have about 10 or so workbooks that have still not been accounted for that people haven't, haven't uh, claimed. And so if you'd like to be a part of that Secret Church simulcast this Friday night, then just call the church office and let us know. And as long as we've got workbooks, we'll be able to send you one or send you a link to that. Also, this coming Tuesday morning, uh, at 10 o'clock, the North American Mission Board is sponsoring a Who's Your One virtual tour webinar uh, to help just provide some encouragement and some training for people who are looking at how to strengthen gospel conversations during this time. Uh, we were part of the Who's Your One Challenge this year. We had a sermon series this past fall. Where we encouraged everybody to be praying about someone in their life that, that doesn't know Christ that you could be praying for and looking to have a gospel conversation with them. And so Dr. Jimmy Scroggins and Dr. Johnny Hunt and, and several other people are going to be doing this live webinar at 10 o'clock on, on Tuesday morning, the 21st. And you can be a part of that webinar. Uh, there's a link that was in the email we sent out earlier and also one that is going out this afternoon on our Central Park Facebook page. And if you'll click that link, it's free to join, uh, but you do need to register in order to get the uh, webinar link. And then you can go on there Tuesday morning and just be encouraged and inspired and get some training on how you can have better gospel conversations during this time of social distancing and isolation. So I encourage you to take part of that if you can this coming Tuesday. As I said, we're going to be continuing this morning in uh, our study of First Peter. We started this study back in January. And the, the theme for our sermon series is Kingdom Exiles, Living Hope. Because uh, when, as we've walked through this book over the last few months, we've seen that what Peter is teaching us or talking to us as Christians in this, in this letter is what it means to be citizens of the kingdom of God who are living as exiles, as sojourners, as transient people here in this world as we are citizens of uh, an eternal 
kingdom, the kingdom of God. And so we are kingdom exiles who live with the hope of Jesus Christ in this world. And so today we're going to be looking at 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 through 19. I want to read these verses for you real quick. And then I want us to look this morning at the subject of when God wills his people's suffering. And so if you've got a copy of God's word, I want you to start in verse 12 of 1 Peter chapter 4. And Peter writes, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, or a thief, or an evildoer, or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian... Let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will, be the, uh, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. We see here in this passage that Peter's central focus, once again, is on the theme of suffering. And from the beginning of this study in January, we said that there were four central themes of the book of 1 Peter, and one of those major themes is the theme of the Christian's call to suffer in this world where we live as exiles. And Peter repeatedly reminds us of this truth that all true Christians will experience suffering or persecution for their faith in Jesus Christ. Therefore, we should commit to suffer well. All true Christians will experience suffering or persecution for their faith in Jesus Christ in this world. Therefore, we must commit to suffer well. Not only is it a fact that true Christians will suffer for their faith in Christ Jesus, but as Peter demonstrates for us in this text today, it is also that it is God wills the suffering of his disciples for their faith. It's not only a fact that we will suffer, but it's also a fact that God actually has made that part of his plan for our life, that we would suffer for our faith in Jesus Christ. The suffering, the persecution, the marginalization, and the alienation that Christians experience is actually part of God's plan for our lives here on this earth. We see this in several passages. We see it in 1 Peter 4, 19 that we read just a second ago where Peter said, Let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. We see it in chapter 2, verse 21, where Peter said, For to this, and this is suffering, for to this suffering you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you may follow him. We see it in verse 17 of chapter 3, where Peter said, It is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing good. Evil. In each one of these verses, we see Peter attach the suffering and the persecution and the alienation and the marginalization of Christians for the, to the will of God for their lives. 
Because their suffering is not just random pain that is occurring outside of the will of God and their Savior. It brings us incredible comfort in the midst of suffering, persecution, and mistreatment that when we are experiencing that, to understand that what we are experiencing is not outside of the will and the power of a supreme and sovereign God. Yet sometimes when Christians suffer mistreatment for their Christian beliefs or for their practices, many of them wrongly conclude that somehow or another God must be blind to what is happening to them. Or they may wrongly conclude that God doesn't care about them or that God is too busy with other details to to alleviate their pain. Sometimes they wrongly conclude that God is just too limited to change their circumstances. But a God who is too limited to know what is happening to us or a God who is too busy to concern himself with us is not a God who is worthy of our worship. And therefore, when we go through suffering and persecution and mischaracterization in this world, we take comfort in the fact that what we are enduring is not only painful, but it is actually part of God's will for us in that moment. And what we've seen in this passage is that the suffering that Peter is speaking of is not really just the physical challenges that we experience because of broken bodies in a fallen world. It's not about having to endure cancer treatments or Parkinson's or or having a child that is born with mental or physical challenges. Those things are powerfully deep and painful experiences of suffering, but they aren't the kind of suffering that is reserved only for Christians. People from every religious sphere in our world suffer from those things. That kind of suffering is the product of a fallen human being and a fallen human experience in a fallen world. The type of suffering that Peter is talking about here that is God's will is suffering mistreatment and persecution in this world precisely because you have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and have committed to living according to his word. And the reality of the Christian life and the clear testimony of scripture is that suffering is not only an ever-present reality for the believers of this world, but that our loving and sovereign Heavenly Father has willed it in our lives. Now, this idea is completely counter to the popular theology in contemporary Western culture that promises that attachment to Jesus is somehow a pathway to prosperity and blessing and relief from suffering. Western Christians have made blessing and prosperity the new bales and asteros of the 21st century. And in doing so, they've erected huge temples as houses of worship for their idolatry. Ravenous wolves disguised as pastors preach that faith in Jesus is a ticket which ensures one's life is destined to experience physical and financial prosperity. Worship in these temples is designed to give praise to a God who serves us by loving us supremely and whose sole purpose in this world is to make much of us his creation. Sermons in these temples are nothing more than spiritual pep talks by religious life coaches designed to affirm our personal worth above all others and to feed our cravings for more affluence. And these so-called pastors are simply spiritual snake oil salesmen who slap enough biblical platitudes on their poisonous bottles so that they cannot be detected, but still cause people to exchange the true gospel 
of what Christ has done for us to rescue us from our sins for a false gospel where Christ is our personal wonder worker and spiritual genie. In contrast to that heresy, we see over and over and over again in the book of 1 Peter that God wills and calls Christians to enter into the crucible of suffering in order to display His glory and power in their lives to a world that is hungry for a God who is much bigger than our personal wants and gratifications. We see a God who is completely sovereign and who at any time can choose to end the suffering of any and every Christian in every place around the world, in any at all times, who chooses instead to send his disciples into a broken and hostile world as witnesses and sometimes martyrs to suffer rejection, hostility, mischaracterization, abuse, ridicule, and even more in order to demonstrate his glory in them. We read in a Bible over and over and over again of a God who sends his people into all kinds of abuse and suffering to demonstrate his sovereign purposes. For instance, the descendants of Abraham went to Egypt in order to escape a plague of suffering that was going on throughout their world. And they go there to escape that physical suffering of a broken world and in the process end up spending 400 years in bondage and forced slavery, crying out to God for deliverance. And God sends them to Egypt to experience 400 years of bondage so that one day God could send them someone who would deliver his people and bring them back to the promised land. We see a God who sends his people into 75 years of exile in Babylon as punishment for their idolatry and their lawlessness. There they would be marginalized and ridiculed for their religious beliefs and many of them would even be forced to bow down to an idol of the king of Babylon himself. We see in the Bible that James, one of the apostles and one of the 12 men who literally lived life with Jesus for three years, the brother of John, that James was killed by the sword by King Herod so that he could somehow or another politically appease the Jewish religious leaders of his day. We see in the Bible a young man named Stephen, a promising young leader and disciple in the early church who was pelted to death by stones for boldly and faithfully proclaiming Christ in the gospel. The writer of Hebrews speaks of the prophets and of the followers of Jehovah who were mocked and flogged. Some of them were sown it, sawed in two and some of them were stoned to death for believing in Jehovah. And even Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 of the sufferings that he experienced for being faithful to Christ. He said, five times I received at the hands of the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Five different times for preaching the gospel, Paul was flogged 39 times. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from Gentiles, danger in the city and in the wilderness and at sea, dangers from false brethren, in toil and in hardship through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. In contrast to that, we have 
pastors who will stand up today and tell you that faith in Christ is about your personal prosperity and blessing. It is simply impossible to read the Bible and conclude that God's perfect plan for Christians and believers in this world is a life of blessing and prosperity that is free from suffering because of their identification with Jesus Christ. That's impossible. And Peter shows us that over and over and over again. So what do we do as followers of Jesus Christ when God chooses to bring seasons of suffering to our lives? We're going to show you some, some truths from Scripture this morning, two primary truths. And if you got an email from us today, you probably got those notes. If not, they're going to be on your screen. What do we do when God chooses to bring seasons of suffering to our life? Number one, we embrace inevitable suffering for Christ as part of God's good plan for our growth. We embrace inevitable suffering for Christ as part of God's good plan for our growth as disciples. Look again at verses 12 through 14. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's suffering that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Peter's words in verse 12 were extremely important when he wrote them to first century Christians, but they are as much, if not more so important in these days of 21st century Western Christianity that has enjoyed hundreds of years of the blessing of religious liberty. Peter says in verse 12, Do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice. Don't be surprised, but rejoice. Peter is reminding us that we shouldn't be surprised. We shouldn't feel overwhelmed whenever we experience a season of suffering for being faithful to Christ. Whenever we enter into that crucible of suffering, whenever we, whenever we begin to experience that marginalization, whenever we begin to experience that persecution from a neighbor or a family member or a co-worker who doesn't share our religious beliefs, we shouldn't be surprised. These verses give the sense that Christian persecution and that Christian marginalization is more of the norm than the exception for followers of Jesus Christ. Do not be surprised at this trial when it comes upon you as though something strange were happening to you. Yet, if you listen to many Christians in contemporary evangelical culture today in the West, you will hear shock and outrage expressed when people in the culture speak against us as Christians or against our beliefs and practices. When they mock our scriptural beliefs as outmoded or old-fashioned, we throw up our hands with surprise and wonder what happened. When they make Christian sexual ethics a running joke on national talk shows, we shake our heads and we wonder how things got so bad. Peter is reminding us that none of these things as followers of Jesus should surprise us. In fact, we should expect them. So why don't we? Why is it that we're so shocked in, in our present contemporary culture when we look around and we see that our world that we live in, that the culture that we live in is becoming increasingly more decadent and not only more decadent, but increasingly more 
hostile towards Christian belief and practice. Why are we so surprised? I believe we are shocked because we have mistakenly believed that a country which was founded on religious liberty and equality and a country that once was heavily influenced by a Judeo-Christian ethic that was widely believed and practiced by many lost and unconverted people who actually never believed the gospel in the first place, we are shocked to understand that that kind of country is not immune to the corrupting influences of sin and idolatry. What we're experiencing today and the shock and outrage as Christians is that we're seeing that a country where we believe religious liberty means equality for all is not immune to the corrupting effects of sin and idolatry within it. We're shocked to see that widely held ethical convictions can be destroyed in a culture by the overwhelming power of sin. And we are shocked and surprised when a government whose central God is the people and not the one true living God actually disintegrates into greater and greater immorality. And yet Peter says to us as believers, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you, but rejoice. How and why are we to rejoice when the culture to which God sends us treats us with increasing disdain and persecution. How are we to rejoice? He tells us here we are to rejoice because we share in Christ's sufferings. And we can be glad when His glory is revealed. What does that mean? It means that God brings inevitable suffering to Christians as part of His good plan for our personal and spiritual growth. As Western Christians in the 21st century, when we begin to experience increasing periods of marginalization and persecution, we shouldn't be surprised not only at what's going on in the culture, and we shouldn't look to God and wonder where is God in the midst of all this. We should understand that God brings these trials to the life of His followers for our growth, to test us, to refine us. I believe like many in our in our day that what God is doing right now in our culture is He is winnowing the church and He is blowing away the chaff of cultural Christianity so that what remains is a pure church that is ready to be disciples on mission for Jesus Christ. Jesus tells us there are two reasons why God gives suffering as part of His good plan for our growth. There's two reasons. Number one, that you may enjoy a deeper fellowship with your Savior. God gives suffering in our lives so that we can enjoy a deeper fellowship with Jesus Christ. Peter says that we share in Christ's sufferings. And this again reminds us that the nature of the Christian life is that we are attached by faith to a Savior who accomplished the ultimate good in our salvation at the price of the ultimate suffering in Himself. That we are attached to a Savior who accomplished the ultimate good in the midst of the ultimate act of suffering. And if our Savior can accomplish good through suffering, then our God can accomplish good through our suffering as well. And then when we are called to suffer for our faith in Jesus Christ, we are called into a special arena where we share in the sufferings that Jesus experienced while He was here on the earth. No one suffered more mischaracterization, persecution, and abuse than the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. 
And it is by sharing in his sufferings that God develops a deeper fellowship between Christians and the Lord Jesus. Paul in Philippians chapter 3 is talking about how he's come to this point in his life where all the things that he gained in his life, he considers them all to be rubbish or trash for the sake of knowing Christ Jesus. He looks at all these spiritual accomplishments, many of them without God, that he, that he came to before he came to faith in Jesus Christ. And even after that, all of the things that, that he had done in, in, in traveling to many cities and sharing the gospel, making disciples, planting churches, writing letters that would serve as the foundation for the doctrine of the New Testament church. Paul looks at all of those accomplishments and he says, I consider them all to be rubbish for the sake of knowing Jesus Christ. Paul says, the one thing I want to know more than anything else is I want to know Jesus Christ on a deeper level. But then look at what he says, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. You know, as I, as I surf the, the internet and I listen to many preachers in the evangelical church today, there are a lot of pastors today who will talk about experiencing the power of Jesus' resurrection, but they want to leave out the part of sharing in his sufferings. And what Paul tells us is that we cannot know the power of Jesus' resurrection until we experience the sufferings of Jesus Christ in His humiliation and His crucifixion. We cannot know the power of the resurrection of Christ if we haven't entered into the crucible of the sufferings of Christ. The testimony of Scripture and believers throughout the history of the church is that those who are often called, called to suffer most for Christ enjoy a depth of fellowship with Christ that many others never experience. And I think that, that one of the things that we're going to see over the course of the next decade or two in the Western Evangelical Church is that we're going to experience a depth of intimacy with Jesus Christ that few of us have ever experienced before because we are entering into an arena that many of our brothers and sisters in Christ have experienced for hundreds of years in places that didn't enjoy the freedoms of religious liberty that we have. Corey Tin Boom was a survivor of the Nazi concentration camps. She was sent to those concentration camps because her Christian family made the decision in, in the beginning stages of World War II to help Jewish people escape persecution from the Nazis. Because of that, she and her family were, were taken prisoner and sent to concentration camps where she suffered horrendous torture for her family's faith and their actions. Most of her family died in those concentration camps. But Corey Ten Boom survived. And she wrote about those in the book, The Hiding Place, and she spoke about those for decades. And she wrote and spoke after her survival of the many truths and the depths of intimacy that Jesus taught her in those camps during those times of suffering. There are few people on our planet during the last hundred years who've probably enjoyed a level of intimacy with Jesus Christ that Corey Ten Boom experienced. And she did so because of the sufferings that she had to go through for her faith in Christ. So not only does God bring that part, so that, 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 that suffering, so that we may enjoy a deeper fellowship with our Savior, but He also does it so that we may experience a deeper manifestation of God's Spirit. 
Paul sa- Peter says in verse 14 that we should not only rejoice in suffering, but we should see suffering as a better pathway to blessing. Look again at verse 14. It says, if you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Again, in the contemporary evangelical church, we talk all the time about experiencing the blessings of Christ. But how often do we hear people say, if you want to experience the blessings of Christ, then allow yourself to be insulted for being a Christian. He says that when you suffer, you experience a blessing. Why? Because the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Now we want to be clear here. The Bible tells us that all followers of Jesus Christ are indwelled by the Spirit of God upon salvation and faith in Christ. When you become a follower of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit indwells you and you have all of the Holy Spirit that you ever need. So what Peter is talking about here is not getting more of the Holy Spirit. What he's talking about here is a manifestation or a resting of the Spirit of God that comes specifically and powerfully upon Christians when they suffer for their faith in Jesus Christ. It's the suffering and the persecution that we endure for Jesus that serves as a gateway for the Spirit of God to move in our lives in deeply more powerful ways. This is what Paul is talking about in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. I read from a second ago when he talked about all those, those beatings and, 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 and being stoned and the persecutions that he experienced for Christ. And then at the beginning of chapter 12, he begins to talk about this thorn in the flesh, this, this increasingly painful torment that he was going through for his faith and his faithfulness to the Lord Jesus Christ. And it says that, that, that Paul pleaded with the Lord three times to take this thorn away from him. And yet the Lord answered him and said, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. So Paul says, Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecutions and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. You see, God allows us to go through seasons of suffering, not only so that we can have a deeper, intimate, personal fellowship with our Savior, but that we can experience a deeper manifestation of the Spirit of God working in us. So Christians need to embrace inevitable suffering for Christ as part of God's good plan for our growth. And if that is true, then the second truth that we see from this scripture today is that you and I need to greet godly suffering, not with shock or shame or complaint but we need to greet it with joy, praise, and witness. If God allows us to enter into seasons of inevitable suffering for our growth, then you and I as followers of Jesus need to greet godly suffering not with shock or shame or complaint, but we need to greet it with joy, praise, and witness. Verse 15, Peter says, Let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. In other words, he says, You shouldn't be suffering for the rightful consequences of sin. Yet, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify in that name. In other words, this entire section of verses 12 through 19 show us that the proper response for suffering for righteousness' sake And the proper response for being a follower of Jesus Christ 
is not to express shock or shame or complaint or bitterness, but that that suffering should be met with joy and rejoicing. It should be met with praise and glorifying God, and it should be met with faithful witness. Peter encourages us to pursue three choices as believers here. Number one, to proudly bear the name of Christ. Proudly bear the name of Christ. Peter says, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. What name? The name Christian. You need to remember that the word Christian is not a name that is often associated with followers of Jesus Christ in the pages of Scripture. The first time the word Christian was ever used, it was used by the believer, it was used of the believers in the church at Antioch of the pagan culture around them when they saw their faith in Christ, they called them Christians, meaning those people believed themselves to be little Christ. It was a term of derision. As a matter of fact, most of the followers of Jesus Christ in the first century were simply known as followers of Jesus or followers of the way. They weren't called Christians like we call them today in 21st century culture. As a matter of fact, this word here is only the second time the word Christian is used in the entire pages of Scripture. But it's clear that the term Christian began to be associated with these followers more and more and more. And as it did, it was usually identified with people who were suffering because of it. If anyone suffers as a Christian, if anyone suffers for being attached to Jesus Christ, he shouldn't be ashamed, but he should glorify in that name. Don't wear the title of Christian is a badge of shame, wear it as a badge of honor. One hymn writer wrote, Take the name of Jesus with you, child of sorrow and of woe. It will joy and comfort give you, so take it then wherever you go. Precious name, oh how sweet. The hope of earth and the joy of heaven. Precious name, oh how sweet. The hope of earth and the joy of heaven. So, Christian, let us proudly bear the name of Christ. Number two, let us trust that present discipline is preparation for future glory. Let us trust in these moments of suffering and persecution that present discipline is preparation for future glory. Peter says in verse 17, it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. What is he talking about here? And how does judgment of the church correspond with suffering for Christ? The parallel that Peter is making here is that the suffering that Christians experience in this world for faithfulness to Christ is part of the process that God uses to purify Christians and prepare us for a better experience with God in eternity. He says, don't be surprised in verse 12 at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. That word testing is a word for refining. It's a word that's used of taking metal and heating it up in the fires of affliction so that the impurities can rise to the top and, and the purities, those impurities can be taken off. That's the testing that he's talking about here. That's the judgment that he's talking about that begins at the house of God. And judgment for Christians differs than, ju- than that from judgment of non-Christians. The judgment that he's speaking about here is not to be seen as something that is punitive or something that is penal. God is not penalizing Christians in their present experience for their past sins by bringing them into experiences of suffering. 
The guilt of our sins was borne by Jesus on the cross and the penalty of those sins were paid in full by him. So when you suffer persecution or alienation for being a follower of Jesus, God is not somehow or another punishing you for something you did in the past. He's purifying you for something he's going to do for you in the future. This judgment is to be seen as a form of discipline. It's a positive correction that God uses suffering for him as a way to grow us, to discipline us, and to make us more like Jesus Christ here. And it is clear here that once again, Peter is reminding us that while we experience suffering for Christ in this world, we are to endure by having an eternal perspective, by focusing our hearts and minds on the eternal glory that awaits us as followers in heaven. In other words, we need to trust that the present discipline that we are enduring from God is preparation for a future eternal glory. And so in light of this, in light of the fact that God is in the process of redeeming this world right now, and that part of that redemption means that one day He's going to return as righteous judge, and that He's going to judge the living and the dead, and He's going to restore this world to its perfect order. In light of that, God is preparing this world for a time of future and final judgment by preparing us as His people here and now. That's why Peter says this sobering reminder that if it begins with us, if God purifies us as those who are attached to Him by faith by allowing us to endure hardship and persecution here in this world, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey God? In other words, if God will allow some of His most faithful believers to suffer torment and torture and injustice, and they believe and trust God today, then what will be the eventual fate for those who refuse to acknowledge a holy God, for those who never trust in the gospel and never receive forgiveness in Christ? If God allows His children to experience that kind of suffering here in this world, what kind of a judgment awaits those who are lost? The reality is that, the, that those who are lost will experience the full justice and the full wrath of God for their sinful rejection of Him. They will experience an eternal torment that makes the present sufferings of this world seem inconsequential. That's why Paul says, if the righteous are scarcely saved now, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? If you're watching this broadcast right now and you've never actually trusted in Jesus Christ for salvation, I plead with you to do so now. If you've never repented of your sinful rejection of God and you've never knelt at the foot of a bloody cross and, and, and trusted in what Christ has done on your behalf, I urge you to do so Today, because the sufferings that God's people are experiencing today are nothing in light of the suffering that awaits those who reject God for all eternity. And then third thing he tells us to do is to do good in the now and to trust God for the future. That as Christians, we're to proudly bear the name of Christ and we're to trust that present discipline is preparation for future glory. And so as such, as followers of Jesus, we are to do good in the now and trust God for the future. If God wills the suffering of his followers for their growth and for his glory, then as he says in verse 19, then let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Let's embrace that God's purposes for us, while not always for our pleasant and comfort, are always for our good. 
And let us know that suffering for Christ is always better than living at ease apart from intimacy with Christ. Let us then do as Peter says and entrust our souls to a faithful creator and let us do good here. Let us know that no amount of suffering in this world, that no amount of suffering this world will bring upon Christians can change our spiritual reality. Let us know that no amount of persecution can detach us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Let us know that no amount of ridicule for believing God's word and living according to it can destroy the power of that word or the eternal security that we have in Christ. And while the world may take away our personal religious liberties, they cannot take away our eternal destiny. We trust our souls to a faithful creator and we trust our earthly bodies to whatever is his present personal plan. And we seek to do good, to spread the gospel, to live for Christ, no matter whether the world acknowledges it or not. As followers of Jesus, we keep crisis pregnancy centers open as havens for pregnant women, even when the world mischaracterizes our motives. We feed the hungry and the helpless, even while the culture never acknowledges it. Christians show up in mass whenever a crisis or a natural disaster occurs while the Red Cross and the United Way get all the glory and the headlines and the national funding. And yet we continue to entrust our souls to a faithful creator and seek to do good. We do these things not for the fleeting applause of earth, but for the glory of God and as a demonstration of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So Christians, let us embrace inevitable suffering for Christ as part of God's good plan for our growth. And let us greet godly suffering, not with shame, not with shock, not with complaint or outrage, but let us embrace godly suffering with joy, praise, and faithful gospel witness. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? I know it's kind of awkward to do that maybe in your living room, but I want to close us today with an opportunity just to invite the Holy Spirit to to speak to us on a deeper level. And there's two parts of this invitation today. If you're a Christian today, I invite you today to say to God, God, I am willing to enter whatever arena you may place me in if it brings glory to you and it brings good to others. Just say that today. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, I don't know what awaits you on the horizon. I don't know what kind of persecution or mischaracterization may be in your future, but just pray, God, I'm willing to enter whatever arena you may place me in if it brings you glory and others good. And if you're a non-Christian here, if you're not a follower of Jesus, I want to invite you today to trust in a Savior who accomplished God's plan of salvation for you by going to the cross and suffering on your behalf so that the penalty of your sins could be atoned for and so you could be forgiven and restored to Jesus Christ. If you never trusted in Jesus Christ for salvation, the Bible says today is the day of salvation. Trust Him today. Trust in what He has done. And so if you need to know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you're watching this because somebody shared this stream with you and today the Holy Spirit has been speaking to you and made you aware of your need for forgiveness, I want to invite you to trust Christ as your Savior. You can do that by simply praying a, a very simple prayer right there where you are and just ask God to come into your life to forgive you of your sins, to make an acknowledgement to repent of those sins. If you'd like to talk to somebody about that, if you'd like to know more about what that means, I, I invite you to contact me. You can see my number on the screen there. There's my cell phone number and also my email address. 
And if you'd like to know about more about how you can have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, I invite you to contact me today. I want to close this today with a word of prayer, and, and then after that we'll dismiss you and hope that you have a great day. So let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you so much that while we will experience suffering, while we will, will experience suffering in this world for righteousness' sake, while all of us at some point in time are going to be called, Paul tells us that all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So Father, while we readily acknowledge as your people today that identification with Jesus means at some point in time we're going to be maligned, we're going to be mischaracterized, we're going to be persecuted. Father, we pray that you will give us the strength today to understand that whenever we enter into those crucibles, whenever we enter into those arenas, whenever we begin to find ourselves the object of someone else's scorn because we are followers of you, let us remember that you always allow us to enter into those things in your sovereignty because you have good plans for our growth in the midst of those, that they bring us into a deeper fellowship with our Savior. They bring us into a, a deeper experience of the Spirit of God. And so, Father, help us to, to greet and face those times of suffering, not with shame, not with shock, but, God, with joy and praise and faithful gospel witness. Father, help us to suffer well as followers of Jesus Christ. And for those that are here today, those that are listening on this broadcast, who don't have a relationship with you, I pray, Holy Spirit, you would speak deep into their hearts this morning and make them aware of their need. Help them to trust you with, with their lives. Help them to repent of their sins and to trust in you by faith. God, we thank you for your faithfulness, even in the midst of these challenging days, to allow us to continue to see your word and to see that your word is just as faithful and just as powerful, even when the church can't gather together to study it like we would like to. Continue to teach us, continue to strengthen us, continue to use us and give us gospel conversations during these challenging times. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Thank you again for joining us today. Again, I invite you for, for just some, some personal growth things. If you haven't already signed up to be a part of the Secret Church Simulcast, you can go to our church Facebook page, and there's a link on that Facebook page that you can sign up. There'll also be a link on there this afternoon for you to sign up for the Hoosier One virtual tour, so I hope that you will take advantage of those. Uh, we feel like this is still going to be the same experience for a few more weeks, and so we will come back and join you again next Sunday at 1030 on our live stream broadcast. And we'll see you then. Have a great week.